Hello, and welcome to the Family Business Podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping family businesses thrive. My name is Russ Hayworth, and each week I will share insights and experiences to help you to navigate the complexities that can come from being in business with your family. You will also hear directly from family businesses who have been kind enough to share their own stories. As ever, I am grateful for the support of my good friends over at the Institute for Family Business. The IFB support family businesses in overcoming their challenges and help them build lasting legacies, something that we have a shared passion for. You can find out more about their work by heading over to ifb.org.uk. Right, let's get on with this week's show. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Family Business Podcast. I'm absolutely delighted this week to be joined by Ian Sterling, who is one of the directors at the Arbiki Distillery up in Scotland. Firstly, Ian, thank you for joining us on the show today. My pleasure, Russ. Good to be here. And thank you very much for the invite. No worries. And I appreciate you are very busy at the moment. You've got a business to run. And so we really appreciate you sharing your um, thoughts with us um, today. We're going to be looking at innovation and in particular a product that you have um, innovated. But before we get into that, perhaps um, you could introduce yourself to our audience um, and give them a a whistle-stop tour of your uh, career today. Sure. Um, Fundamentally, I spent most of my career when I was working with corporates in the drinks industry. And so coming back to owning, setting up and owning a distillery was a natural place to come to. Started off in that space with White Mackay, then Jim Beam, then Diageo, the world's biggest spirits business. And then we, I left the, after leaving Diageo, I set up a marketing business with my brothers, John and David, who are now in the distillery business. And we ended up doing some marketing for William Grant. So a fair portfolio of drinks businesses, And I also worked with the Volkswagen Group, but we came back to um, the family business, working with my brothers after that. And and naturally, we ended up working in the drink space and then working with people, creating new products, creating brands. And gradually, it became obvious that we had all the ingredients, i.e. the brand making, the farm growing all the ingredients. Um, We had a building, we had water. And the bits we were missing, and you know, that's kind of where the innovation and collaboration comes in. The bits we were missing was the actual kit, so we had to go out and spec that. But thankfully, I'd done an MBA at Harry Watt University that has the Institute of Distilling and Brewing. And so that missing piece, I went to the heads there and then was pointed in the right direction in terms of the chap that ran the MSc program. And we took various projects that I and we were working on in terms of brand building and just setting up the distillery to the MSc program. Because for me, obviously, all the students were writing dissertations. So after discussions, these problems or challenges we had then became dissertations. And so in, in the short version, we got a beauty parade of talent from Harriet Watt, world-class institute and knowledge and people. So in terms of that was probably the first kind of collaboration and you're going into into a hot bed of innovation mm-hmm. and people from across the world you know so some of the guys that worked with us were from Seattle they were all over the world wow and I always call them an alumni because there was a fair amount of guys and most of them men and women are working in distilleries breweries cider manufacturer all across the world so uh-huh. 
it was it was just really nice and it was just one of those ones the light bulb came on in that so it was a kind of path and I, I think it may have been it kind of encouraged us to engage with the learning institutes or the, the institutes that are there in terms of knowledge and uh-huh. and experience and talent. Fantastic and we're going to cover that in um, a bit more detail later on in, in our conversation but if we can just take a, a step back to your return to the family business the, the family business in essence is a farming business isn't it and and it is. what what was it that brought you back to the family but was it a conversation with your brothers and you thought well, let's go and do this talk, talk us through that side of that transition yeah, I, I mean, mum and dad were always very keen for us to be as edu- do as much education as possible, encourage us to go out in the world, travel, see new things, do new cultures, because, you know, I'm one of five brothers and a sister, so the family farms would naturally be run by one person or a couple. So naturally, there usually isn't enough work there for all of that family to be. So, you know, we went away and, and in the family, we've now got marketeers, accountants, lawyers, which now when they've crystallized into business is very, very useful in terms of experience. But uh-huh. we, we inherited the farming business from mum and dad. So we're basically the latest custodians of that business. The family itself have been farming for over 400 years. So, you know, there's a lot of expertise in terms of ingredients. And you know, we're just very, very lucky that we inherited that because that's one of the key pillars of what we do with our BP, that farming is fundamental and ingredient growing is fundamental to our distilling and also just the flavors and tastes that are there that are different to other people. And, you know, we have a, as I always jokingly say to people, we have a large garden Uh where we can grow whatever we want. You know, we're just a movable trial. We'll innovate on a much bigger scale than a garden, but actually it's very like that. You you can trial it. And, you know, we are on a path with James Hutton Institute, which, I will mention later or talk more about later, but, you know, we're working with institutes in terms of innovating, expanding what's grown in farming, but also making sure that we are working on regenerative agriculture and making sure that we're handing over the farms in as best state to the next generation, Uh because we're very much about legacy business. And, you know, our Beaky Distillery is a legacy business. Uh Uh, Fundamentally, particularly with the whiskey element in it, you know, that's a decades and century business whiskey. So, you know, it, it's all about long time frames. It's all about long-term partnerships. It's all about long-term distribution. So it's a much slower, thoughtful business whiskey than perhaps the gin element to it, which can be made relatively quickly. And that market changes a lot. Mm-hmm. Whiskey's maybe got a slower dynamic, but then we've arrived in there with a rye whiskey, which is the first in the world. And we've already started down that path. You know, and we'll talk about the Nadarjin as well. Yeah, and the the kind of recurring theme that that's being picked up there is on this basis of innovation. Is that something that's core to your family as a as a value? Is it your particular generation that is more innovative than than previous? No, I don't think so. I think I mean, it's funny how you say that, and instantly my father's uh, face comes into because dad was always a person that saw ahead really, really clearly. And for him, something that happens in 10 years' time was always obvious. Uh-huh. And he was probably, you know, sadly, he passed, he had more neuron disease, but he saw us setting up the distillery, which was really nice, and actually evolving the farm 
into a farm and a distillery. But he would, uh, yeah, he had some of the first John Deere tractors in the UK. He had the first, I think, for some of the first class combines. He always farmed at scale. He saw the economies of scale. He would innovate retail. He always travelled. It was a group of farmers in the area in Angus who would have a discussion group and all the farmers would get together and talk. But they'd always do an overseas trip at least once a year, mm-hmm. a learning journey. So being in the most amazing places, remembering Brother John, we were talking about the other day about being in Ukraine and looking at Ukraine and seeing the potential in Ukraine because the land is amazing. Uh-huh. You know, it's huge, huge. And ironically, one of my friends got involved in the business there in Poland, a farming business or setting up a farming business in Poland and the Ukraine. But, you know, innovation has always been, I think it's in our DNA and actually challenging uh-huh. the norms and pushing the boundaries. But also, I think also with re- regenerative agriculture, and the um, field to bottle ethos we've got it's you know it's just something that's there about caring for what you've got and leading if we can by example or certainly trying to do the best you possibly can so innovation and I think all, all of us having done a lot of learning you know if you're at university or college you're always going to innovate or we've always done you know studied things that encourage you to collaborate and innovate uh-huh. And you mentioned you're one of um, five brothers and you have a sister as well. You're not all directly involved in the business, is that right? Uh, No, no. Uh, I am with my brothers, my elder brother, John, my younger brother, David, my youngest brother, Sandy. My sister isn't involved in the business. I wish she was because she's the bright, intelligent, good looking one. (laughs) Um, But she's a corporate lawyer and she's more than capable of looking after herself. But Uh wise advice and you know she now lives in Germany in Hamburg and um, my elder brother Andrew set up or we set up the brothers together a business called Stirfresh which Andrew now runs um, very successfully it was a very good Uh business and again that was taking raw material from the farms to potatoes and vegetables and creating added value products there so he's one of a few prepared veg producers in the UK and has Uh some very good contracts with retailers. So um, very successful business and good learnings there for us when we were setting up our own manufacturing plant, if you were Uh to say that, about a distillery. Yeah, and so there's it it feels more as if it's a business family than necessarily a a single sort of family business, if if that's an appropriate way of looking at it. And that in itself can bring some challenges with how decision are made either within the business and within the family, particularly if it's a broader family enterprise. Can you talk us through again, your decision-making processes, what Mm. forums and and governance you have in place to to help you out? I think, I mean, uh, the key thing is in the partners of the business. So John, Dave and I will discuss most things. In reality, we live in different locations. David lives in America. I live in Edinburgh. John lives on the farm. So up north in Angus, north of Dundee. And so that will always happen. And, and as I was saying to you, we're just about to have a uh, direct director's Zoom call after this. So mm-hmm. that kind of communication is important because things are always evolving. And obviously, presently, right now, things are changing by the day or often by the minute. And so, but I think regressing back to when we were children and we brought up my mum and dad, mum and dad would always involve us in farming or business discussions around the kitchen table. And we'd be asked our opinion. So, you know, do we go on a holiday, a nice summer holiday, or do we buy a new farm? Uh-huh. Hands up, you know, uh-huh. that in simplistic <laughs> terms. But those conversations did happen. I remember those vividly. And, 
you know, we were always brought up that way and you were immersed in that farming business. So as you say, coming back to it is very, very easy. In fact, it's hallelujah because we inherited the farming business on one side and we were running a marketing and events business on the other. Mm. And neither the twain shall meet sometimes. But actually, you then go marketing brand, alcohol, oh, ingredients. And actually, you, you know, you've managed to combine both of those. And so it certainly puts me in a very happy place because I'm a farmer's son. So, uh-huh. you know, I may have gone done wonderful things with Diageo and some great corporates, but actually I'm more happy being on the farm. And actually, you know, it's one of the advantages of, of we're about to open our, our uh, distillery experience soon. And that will all, for me, it's all about telling people about farm and growing and distillings rather than just distilling and actually, you know, explaining how it works, but also mm-hmm. encouraging people to grow their own experiment, see how ingredients come together and, and explaining provenance and terroir and all the subtleties that the wine industry has done for a very long time. You know, it's, it's taking that learning, but also then collaborating with, as we've done with Nadar, with likes of Abertay University and the food and drink department there, or the James Hutton Crop Institute, which is world-class. And, you know, thankfully it's only about less than half an hour away from our farm. So we're incredibly lucky to have these incredibly smart people doing world-class things with crops. And, you know, I'll say crops, but then when I'm talking distilling, I'm talking about ingredients uh-huh. and, and innovating with ingredients. And the answer from our business for most of those projects will always be yes, because we're innovators. Mm. Yeah, and, and that brings us really nicely onto the, that subject of innovation and in particular you've created the world's first climate positive gin uh, which is under the Nadir brand that that you've created and you you touched on it in the introduction about how that collaboration came about but what was the motivation behind making it climate positive rather than just producing a gin for example? Well there was was a few elements there one as I spoke before, our, our master distiller, Kirsty Black, came from Harriet Watt University. So Kirsty, after MSc, continued her education and learning, and she would we would give her time to go and do her PhD. So she would go to, as I would call it jokingly, go to school every week, uh-huh. um, <laughs> yeah, which would almost hit me every time I said that, but never mind. Um, it's like going away doing the learning. But then she was working, you know, she was being supervised at Abertay University by Dr. Graham Walker in the food and drink space. So, and then they were collaborating with the James Hutton Institute with a chap called uh, Pete Ionetta, who specializes in legumes and legume production and had an EU or a European wide project that was looking to distill alcohols from peas or from legumes. So all of this kind of combined, Kirsty worked on it for five years as her PhD we were the ideal people to do it because actually having peas in our crop rotation on the farm is really good because you're getting a nitrogen fix for free. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the agribusiness, that's one of the most expensive pieces was you know, using artificial nitrogen. So peas can actually put nitrogen into your soils for free as part of that rotation. Right. We're also then taking per bottle minus 1.5 kilos of carbon out of the atmosphere and so you're on that climate journey from, you know, you're, you're being climate positive or carbon negative in terms of taking carbon away. And, you know, we obviously gave it the time and space to grow. Kirsty obviously directed the project and so it deserves all the credit for achieving 
what she's done along with the rest of the distilling team because uh -huh. they've made a product that works in terms of climate, but actually the flavors and tastes are amazing. And, you know, we released the gin and we've now released the vodka version, but you make the vodka version to make the gin, uh -huh. but gin in the UK is more popular. So we decided to do the gin first and, you know, we're still in a world only space and, you know, it's a, it's a nice thing to do. You know, the Nadar name is the Gaelic for nature. So you've kind of leveled in N-A-D-A-R, a nice simple name that, you know, no one's challenged by. Our beak is a bit more hard to say, uh -huh. um, but it's not brew cladi. So yeah. people learn and they join the club. And, you know, Nadar is really, really proud of it, but it's also amazing what we can do with the partnership. So it's that collaboration and a willingness to innovate. And I think for um, our audience, that's a, a hugely beneficial takeaway is you've done it with um, gin and, and now with vodka. But the, the lesson I think is around the ability to innovate and collaborate with places like universities and people with specific skills and, and skill sets that are there to all drive for, for a greater good rather than, you know, just looking at distribution channels or just looking at ways in order to get a product out there, looking at ways to innovate that product through collaboration could be a really exciting way, particularly given where we are with um, coronavirus and COVID and, and what's happening there. If businesses are looking at ways to innovate, but don't necessarily have the skill set in-house. Totally. Understanding that there's a, a world out there that can help is a hugely positive thing. Well, I think I think a good example would be I, I studied across at Trinity College in Dublin a couple of years ago, and I recently had some of the MBA students work on a market entry strategy for China. Uh -huh. And it's an amazing piece of work. You know, I would have taken months to do that highly intelligent guys, had a real project to do. It took me some hours to brief them in terms of, you know, doing an ISO session and answering the questions because it's fairly complex to say the least. Mm -hmm. But what they came back with was amazing. Um, I've just done the same with some marketing students at Strathclyde University because they can't get, and particularly with COVID, they can't get internships. So they're desperate to have projects to work on. So we've, we've given them a good, I think there's maybe five or six projects there, which is looking at, digital, particularly in the Asian and Chinese markets. So combining the American platforms with the Chinese ones, so the uh -huh. Weibo and, and WeChat, how do you combine that with uh, WhatsApp and Facebook? And you know, that's a complex thing, yeah. but also just some of the marketing of whiskey clubs and everything else we're doing that you've got people's brain power in there. So they're getting a real challenge with the real business and we're getting some really good innovation. We don't need to use it, but it'll certainly move the conversation on and I think those kinds of institutions, especially younger people who will find it harder to get jobs over the next period of time, the more, the more real life experience you can give them, the better. Mm. You know, I, I benefit from that. And I think I'll always do the extra hours to try and help people because I'll, you know, just now I probably with COVID reach more out into my network in terms of export. So I've gone to friends who work for competitors in Asia and gone who are the good distributors? Who should uh -huh. we talk to? You know, LinkedIn is my friend, a very good friend. Uh -huh. And I think, you know, there's there's lots that can be gained from linking, but also, you know, going back to the collaboration. It's not always about you. And, you know, those people have been very generous to me. I, you know, I they're in my black book of people to help. 
Mm-hmm. But you know, if you give, you'll always get back. And I think we were taught that by our parents. So it's, you know, it's all about values in terms of collaboration. And mm. I think probably we launched, we did a soft launch or a very quiet launch for Nadar Jin at Aberte University. And the thing that gave me the most pleasure was Pete Ionetta from James uh, Hutton Institute with his son, with the bottle of Nadar Jin. He was sitting there with this bottle and he's pointing to this product and he's standing and he was so happy that his research was in a bottle. Uh-huh. He got something tangible rather than just a report or something else that sometimes can go into the ether. Yes. And just a smile on his face and the way he explained it to his son, who's, you know, what would have been, I think he was about 13 or so. Right. So dad was very proud and it was just uh-huh. really nice to see that because you kind of yeah. go, um, you know, there's years of work there and it's suddenly gone into a bottle. And I think that's that was just really, really nice. Uh-huh. And what we sometimes here is the 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 family obviously understand the values and the motivation behind things because you've come from the same family communicating that to people outside of the business can sometimes be tricky particularly if they've been accustomed to a sort of corporate world where Mm. it's much more profit driven and target driven and the collaborations that you're talking about as well involved you investing an awful lot of trust in the people that you're collaborating with as well because you're obviously pr- protecting something that's 400 years old that you are a custodian mm. of was that something that you found came easily to you was it something where there were sort of challenges and you sort of felt possessive over certain elements of it I think fundamentally we'll be trusting people I think in terms of values but I think it's interesting that you know remember John Dave and I discussing it and having been in business for, we'll say about 10 years, was regressing back to PLU, that fundamentally, if we're doing business with anyone, and that could have been in any business, that was pre-drinks, and that PLU is people like us. Uh So fundamentally, if you're not comfortable working with someone when you start, why would you continue? Uh If that comfort's not there, and that's, that's your instinctual learning over your over your lifetime. You know, John, Dave and I are all roughly about 50. And actually, so you've got a good 30 years of perhaps being in the business environment or 50 years of life that you know you, you will get vibes of people. And I think sometimes you have to trust people and sometimes you can be more suspicious or, you know, you, there's things that come up. So I think I think people also earn your trust and you earn the trust of other people. So the more you're sharing, but also you have to take some risks because otherwise, if you don't trust anyone or... You know, you're not building those partnerships, nothing ever happens. And mm. so you've got to take that jump and go, you know, you know, if we are silly enough to set up a distillery, you're going, how do you do that? Well, we just wanted to. How do you do it? Well, we wanted to do it, so we'll just do it. Yeah. And same with Nadar, same as doing, you know, say the the rye whiskey we've done in terms of Highland Rye. You know, that's a first one in 200 years. And, you know, a lot of the industry are on my LinkedIn because I work for a lot of the companies and know a lot of people in that space and people are looking to see what we're doing. But, you know, we're capable of growing and distilling. And also because we're marketeers and I'm a marketeer, you're used to reaching out to other spaces on social media and through through markets or or working out through market research and hence the conversation with Trinity College in terms of market entry to China or Strathclyde in terms of going how do we best do this because Uh 
you know, I'm an old fogey at 53, but those young, talented, bright individuals there may have a totally different view in their 20s. Mm. And, you know, I'll never stop learning. So if, if they can tell me something or show me something, um, more than willing to adapt and change. And also, and also fundamentally, you might come across people, as we did with Kirsty and Christian, our distillers, who are very talented, and you go, well, actually, come and work with us. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there's nothing better than having bright intelligent people working for you who make you look good yeah way more intelligent than we are <laughs> and you just give them the, the the tools and the and the space and the trust to do good things and like you say that that the ability for them to then feel so proud of their contribution to what you're doing overall as a as a family that is aligned to your values as a, a family is it's like a continual upward spiral of of goodness because it's you're all on the same page you're looking to to achieve the same things rather than what can often happen with bringing let's call them outsiders in inverted commas um, into the business it can that that can be a challenge sometimes because it's harder to articulate a a feeling or a value around something than pure product or or target because a lot of it's in your dna or it's how you've been brought up so you know it's it's very subtle in that way but then that's when you're out, you know, I'll always look at people and go, actually, would they do well for us? And, you know, it was funny, I was doing a presentation online to Shanghai recently, a Sunday morning at nine o'clock in the morning, a, a presentation, <laughs> a tasting. And, and, it, and it, it was funny because I was doing it with my colleague, Stephen, and we got to talking about AK's Gin, which is named after our father. And I stopped Stephen, who was talking, when actually, I'll probably better explain this. And when I explained it was named after my father, who died, he'd passed in this horrible thing called MND. And we wanted to name a gin after him. And thankfully, it won the world championship before he passed. Uh-huh. It was the reverence from the Chinese who really value that kind of respect for their elders. Yes. And it was amazing just the reaction in the room. And it was, you know, it was on Wi-Fi. It was in a it was in a Zoom call, but it was just really powerful. Uh-huh. And and you know, it's something that we will do without sometimes realizing that you're adding elements like that in. But I would only tell the story because I'm proud. You go, mm. actually, that was that was a special day telling dad the day we won the World Martini Championship and I go, actually, you're world champion. So <laughs> you can't do much better than that in terms of yeah. having your own alcohol. Um, and, and it's just nice. And obviously, if you're in a family business, you can do that. There's not many people that, that get to world champion status, is there? So that's, that's very special. So that's, that's a lovely story. In terms of... So the continual innovation and your your sort of role as a, a custodian as a as a family. What, what's your hope for future generations? Is there ambitions to to just retain this within the family and create an a environment for people to flourish within? Or, or what's the, the motivation there? Very 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 much that because in reality, you know, and the and the, the next generation there's. I think I counted the other day, 13 who could be engaged in the business. They're all, they're all fairly young just now, but actually, you know, we're driving the business forward. One of the aims when we started to be was one of the most sustainable distilleries in the world. So there's a lot of work to do in that. And that's an ongoing project. And that will be an ongoing project for decades because that's all about energy, energy conservation, logistics, transport, that there's so many different things, but We've initiated some fairly 
forward thinking projects in terms of logistics, in terms of new crops, in terms of, you know, as I think I said before, we're about to open the distillery experience, hopefully next spring. So everyone can come up to north north of Dundee and come and say hello. And beautiful place called Lunan Bay. And that will let people see the farm, how a, a scaled farm works, but also alongside a distillery and how we're growing things like lemongrass and chilies and limes and coriander and strawberries and gavi and whatever else, um, which always gets the news writers, agave, making tequila. It's like, no, <laughs> it just hasn't been a gavi plant there. But, you know, that kind of thing where you're stretching imagination, but also hopefully inspiring people to do something similar. And so moving on that whole agenda, we're lucky that, you know, projects like the V&A Museum in Dundee's there, and they're almost getting about a million people a year coming up to that museum. Wow. And it's done incredibly well. It's about 40 minutes away from the distillery. And actually, Dundee as a city is really on the up. And, you know, they're now talking of doing an Eden project in Dundee, which, you know, if something like that was crystallised, I think there's a, there's a review or they're looking at it in detail just now. But if that was to be close by, we'll say half an hour away from the distillery, you've suddenly got a sustainable space and a sustainable distillery. And yeah. Very, very complimentary. And, you know, if anybody's working in that space in the next generation, there's so much you could do. You know, I just wish I was 20 years younger because yeah. <laughs> you know, I can imagine what's in that space and what you could do um, in terms of driving agendas forward, but also as a as a gin, vodka and whiskey producer, particularly whiskey, because whiskey is in every bar in the world that you can influence the whole world. Oh. Um, I sound like a megalomaniac now, but actually in a really positive way. Yeah. You know, because if, you know, we're doing the field to bottle with the rye, we can go field, variety, how it's distilled, where it was bottled, and it's all in one place. Uh-huh. And then and then your challenge is getting it from there to further away. But these things are being addressed in very wise ways just now. There's some really great innovation in that space coming. And we can hopefully engage on that one. And, you know, it's, uh-huh. you're then laying down... And particularly laying down, you know, talk about laying down foundations, but laying down whiskey for decades, at which oh. point, you know, the next generation, probably reading the, the William Grant's family book, probably third generation really benefiting from that because you've got a big stock of aged whiskey that, you know, that the owners, if they're smart, just let the machine continue to run, the business oh. continue to run. A new role is going out and managing the distribution and the distribution partnerships around the world. But that doesn't sound like a hard job to me. No, that sounds lost. I make it sound very simple, <laughs> but for me, it's quite simple. Yeah. Um, and we've spoken a little bit about the sort of longer term plans. And in particular, that's again one of the, the values of um, being family owned is that you can you can take that longer term view with the business Mm. but in in the short term we are facing at the moment periods of um, quite high levels of uncertainty we're dealing with a global pandemic here in the UK we've also got Brexit on the horizon 80 odd days until sort of transition period ends how 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 are you doing in terms of coping with the fact that there is now so much change as you said at the the outset on a daily basis and it's stuff that a lot of times is out of our control in a sense Mm. of you know there's only certain aspects of it that we can actually influence how how are you coping with that 
Well, I think it's interesting we're we're using Zoom to do this because actually it's one of the, I don't think, I can't, I couldn't begin to think of how many hours I've spent on Zoom since around about March time. Mm-hmm. I think having those communications and reaching out to as many spaces in different markets across the world, you know, we have a range of discussions going on. I think within that period of change, you can be very dependent on a, on a local market in terms of the UK or even a European market. Obviously, Brexit's going to change that too or add even more complication to that. So you want to be talking to faraway markets, just as I spoke about in terms of Shanghai. You know, we sent some product, we did an online presentation and we did an online tasting, mm-hmm. which was very challenging, but at the same time we did it and it's been done and actually, I was on WeChat talking to the boss there today and because they just had a national week's holiday in China. And so it is familiarizing yourself with new markets, using the technology that's there to communicate and, you know, probably can't do the journeys. And I'm thinking particularly in terms of selling food and drink or certainly the drink space we're in is that, you know, normally I'd want to go and meet the people and do lots of travel, but actually mm-hmm. the technology is there that does that pretty well, I would say at least 80%, because everything can be done electronically. There's films, there's, you know, tastings, conversations. And also, you know, as an SME as well, you're going, it's not costing you anything apart from your time. Yeah. So actually, you know, I think a lot of people have realized the power of video communication because it's always been there, but actually this current crisis has created the need to use it. Mm. And going on the Brexit one, well, you look at different markets away from the EU. You know, we'll continue to work with our distribution partners in the EU. There'll be complexity in terms of paperwork and everything else. And we just need to take a long-term or a medium to long-term view on those relationships and how we adjust to tariffs, non-tariffs, whatever they are. You know, But all change creates opportunities in my mind. So you have to stay in the positive space. Mm-hmm. And actually look at the opportunities. And you know, we've looked, I think, in terms of the business over the kind of first five years, because we're we'll soon be six, is we kind of looked at the UK or maybe Scotland in year one, uh, UK in year two, with London specifically as an export market, because it's very much a different, it's a different country. It's an mm. international space compared to the rest of the UK then the EU, then into America and, and very much Asia over the last piece. So getting a mix in those markets and communicating into those markets. But in this day and age with LinkedIn and having had a fair bit of experience myself and my brother John worked in the Caribbean in the US, my brother David was in Africa. Our youngest brother Sandy used to be in South Africa, is now in mm-hmm. Dubai. My sisters in Germany used to work in London. Um, you know, even in the family network, it's it's a fairly big one, but also we've all traveled and worked in other countries. So, mm. you know, it, it helps an awful lot. And I think that's where going back in terms of the lessons to be learned is network, network, network every time. Mm-hmm. And asking the question, ask for help. Yeah. Because there's no way I know who the best distributors in Asia are, but I've got lots of wiser friends and more experienced people there. You go, if you ask the question, they won't necessarily give you an answer, but lots of them did. Mm-hmm. And it shortens the journey. And actually, you know, the whiskey family or the whiskey industry is a very collaborative industry. My brother, John, who's, who's new to it, can't believe how everyone talks and collaborates and, you know, they work together. But 
in terms of scotch or, or the global whiskey market is ginormous mm. actually everyone would struggle to actually supply it all at times so actually there's right. there's room enough for everyone and everyone has a different the key thing is stories everyone has a different story and a different flavor profile and a different way of distilling and i think that's a very mature way to work in a market and it's actually a very nice way yeah uh, and again it kind of highlights what you were saying earlier about the um, people like us is that, mm. that process of asking for help and asking for support and guidance from people within your network soon highlights to you who within your network you want to keep within your network because if they are people like you who see the benefit of um, you know all ships going up in a rising tide rather than mm. you know, trying to Absolutely. knock down everyone else's building then you, you can almost vet your network that way as well yeah and I suppose as you say it's self-validating that way because actually you see who's willing to do it. Sometimes people can't because of circumstance, but you know, there's an awful lot of good people we work with and some great people in the industry. And you know, we're, as I was saying before, we're putting in the distillery experience. I've spoken to most of our competitors in that space uh-huh. who've been more than willing to share, share all the advice. You know, I was reading a an article on on guests and experience to do with McAllen and you know their new place up north. And it was fascinating insight from Stuart uh, Castles there you know who's been doing this for a long period of time and you know you just want people to really enjoy what they do you know you may as well born uh, borrow those experiences not always going to be the same for every location but you know there's so much you can learn very very quickly and you know if, if people are asking us for for advice or help instinctively we do it every time uh-huh. because you know it's you're part of an industry or with the students or the uh, particularly younger people it's actually giving them experience and actually giving them a hand up to get started in work and and encourage them to do their education but also to travel and learn because that's probably one of the things that you know I've definitely got mum and dad to thank for that to encourage uh-huh. us to go away and travel I backpack for a year around the world and I would I would advise people to do it because I saw things I learned, things I worked in, bizarre jobs. It was great. Mm. You know, and you meet amazing people. And that, again, is it can be quite a hot topic in sort of family business world around should the next generation go off and explore? Should, should they go and, you know, tread their own path rather than sort of go through this set process of, of becoming involved in the family business? And I do know of examples where both have worked out mm-hmm relatively well so I don't think there's a hard and fast rule but I think that is extremely valuable and again we might be restricted right now in terms of where and how we can travel but that for those rising gen or next generation who are in businesses or have family businesses sorry and are looking at what their options might be presumably you're you're suggesting that that would be something definitely worth looking at if if not pursuing um because of I think, the value I, mean, I, I learned an awful lot about the drinks industry working for the business i was with you know whether it was my induction with richard patterson at white mckay you know the nose is one of the best people in the world in terms of whiskey blended whiskey amazing performer a great artist or working with my FD working for the FD in that business Brian had me doing projects and you know gave me a huge scope of things to do because you know it could be anything and he knew I would take it on as a challenge 
And then the one I didn't want to do with him ended up being the one that Diageo headhunted me in to work for the biggest drinks company in the world. So <laughs> a negative became a very positive. Yeah. But then I didn't want, by that time, I'd had enough of working for big businesses. And you wanted to be self-employed because as a family, we've, we're all self-employed near enough. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of in your DNA. And I've got the age where you want to be that. But it's amazing what you learn on, on that journey. But also people can mentor we were very lucky when we started or I started in kind of self-employment. I joined and then John joined Entrepreneurial Exchange, which is a entrepreneurial group in Scotland that, that because Scotland's a very concise area, we had, you know, the best business people were part of this group and uh-huh. you sit at a dinner, around a dinner table or, or small groups of people, all Chatham House rules, sharing business knowledge with a billionaire sitting next to you or three billionaires sitting next to you, you know, uh-huh. the owner of stagecoach or, or whoever. And, you know, it's all confidential, but the learning is staggering. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, we used to go and have a cup of tea with, so Tom Farmer, who would have been the only non-American board member of the Ford Motor Company, but Tom was a very wise man and, and still is. Uh-huh. And, you know, amazing business people, but you know that was that was a bit of luck. We looked for it, and we got membership. And I think John prospered in terms of entrepreneurialism, and I think I definitely did because you know in those days we we're probably looking at build a business and sell it after ten years, uh-huh. whereas we're the complete opposite. It's all about legacy because actually uh-huh. nothing would give me more pride than knowing that you've set up something, a platform for other generations to thrive. Yeah. or have opportunities that we wouldn't have had. And your know, mum and dad were selfless that way as well. You know, they put loads of money into our education, let us travel, encourage us to go away. If we came back, that was our choice. And uh-huh. ironically, we've now all kind of come back to the farm because it's fundamental to where we are, both in terms of geographies, by being in the Highland part of Scotch whiskey making, but also, as I said before, you know, you're near Dundee, you're near the V&A Museum, you're near to that potentially Eden project. Lunan Bay, where we are, is one of the most stunning beaches in Scotland. And, uh-huh. you know, I've, I've gone back to staying. When Dad was ill, I was staying with Mum and Dad. And you're looking at this view every single day at the distillery. And every day you're just going, wow. You know, uh-huh. and I've been to maybe 60 countries around the world. So there's a fair benchmark in terms of places. And yeah. it just we're just incredibly lucky. And I think someone asked me recently if I could choose what my life was going, you know, if I had a choice, I'd be, well, I quite like to be a farmer's son. Uh-huh. I quite like doing a distillery and actually being based in Scotland. Yeah, I could cope with that as long as I get to do a bit of travel to sunny places as well. Yeah. Oh, actually, that's what I do. So <laughs> you can't you can't your chickens. Uh, or sorry, you you thank your lucky stars in terms of that. And you know we're very very lucky doing what we're doing, but never sit on your hands. I think as well for what's next because it's continuing to change and. You know, it's competitive markets we're in. Tariffs in the US are changing. There's lots more trade disputes and it just makes life more complex. But you've just got to navigate your path through it mm. and and also just work with good people yeah. and enjoy it. If you, if you find something you enjoy, I think that's the most important thing. We're incredibly lucky doing what we're doing. Mm. Um, and also as a family, we've chosen to do it as a family, which is a completely different vehicle but I think it lets us make incredibly quick decisions. Uh-huh. Whereas having worked in a corporate, it could take weeks and months. Yeah. We, we can do, you know, with the rye, you know, we probably went 
John went, got some rye seed. Do you think we should do some rye whiskey? Yes, why not? <laughs> NPD process finished. This is your mate. Exactly. And we tried it. You know, it was one of those ones going, actually, why don't we do this? Obviously, there's a lot of trial and error with the distilling, but actually, because it's a difficult thing to distill, but, you know, it's that willingness to innovate and, and also work, give the people that work with us in terms of the distillers the kit to do it and the time and, you know, the patience to do it. So, mm. but then also taking it and engaging the right people in terms of market and working out who that is and bringing them on board and bringing them into a bigger family. Yeah, um, fantastic. And certainly it's on my places to visit next year. I think I'm planning a, a trip around Scotland. I, I travelled through it by bike on a, a Land's End to John O'Groke's ride and it, it was stunning. And um, there's so much more of it that I want to explore. And your, your part of Scotland uh, is on that list. So I'll be I'll be popping up next, next spring or summer when, when we're allowed to move again. Um, yeah, you know, looking forward to that because I think a lot of the travel will be local. And so, you know, give people a chance. And I think, you know, that's, you know, I was way up further north for a staycation. And it's amazing, as I said before, I've probably been in 60 plus countries, mm-hmm. how little you know about certain bits of your country. Yeah. And, and some of it's just amazing. You're just like, wow. <laughs> and, you know, it's world class and it's sitting on your doorstep, but because you're so used to getting on a plane to going somewhere. And that's where it's really exciting, you know, having built the, experience allowing people to come into that space but also helping encourage tourism into our local county because mm. obviously that's all about money and jobs and and being a custodian in that space as well of the local community so it's it's a nice thing to be able to do and you know we go out to the the 20 plus countries that we work with with our beaky and you're naturally promoting your locality and mm. the geographies and everything else as well as the farming and everything else so it's 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 a nice place to be yeah sounds fantastic and really appreciate you sharing the um story with us and and your your own personal story with the family business with with our audience just in terms of clarifying something in relation to the climate positive gin Mm -hmm. am i right in thinking because it's climate positive the more we drink the more we save the planet is that how it works (laughs) That, that may not be uh, fitting in with ag- uh, alcohol rules, but no. fundamentally it is. Yeah, it'll be a rare one in the world. I mean, basically, you're looking at minus 1.5 kilos out of the atmosphere per bottle, 70 CL bottles. So that's a nice place to be in, in the world that we're in just now. It's not the fun- fundamentally, it's a really, really good gin. And, and I think combining both is amazing. But yeah, it's, it's, it's nice to do something extremely positive in that space and drive and drive the competitors to do something similar. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like the rye, we did the rye whiskey, which will be the first rye scotch for about 200 years. But now there's about, I think it's about another six coming to market soon. Mm-hmm. But whiskey, you've obviously got to wait at least three years. So you can't just go, let's do some. You've got to distill it and go through that learning process and then spend the three years. So, it's 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 a fascinating industry to be in and one that you're learning something new every day mm. but also learning about the cultures that you're working with so like as i mentioned china you know you take decades to learn about china mm. it's so complex yeah but fascinating at the same time 
Yeah, uh, and keeps everything uh, really interesting for you and, and the family as well with, with what you're doing. So it's like you say, if you could write it down as a wish list of um, how you want it to be, it, it's, it's pretty close, I'm guessing. Absolutely. We're very, very lucky. We inherited a good business and we're building something in that ilk. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And just finally, where can our audience find out more about you, more about the distillery and... Um, yeah, the vodka and gin that you're developing at the moment? Well, I think, I mean, obviously Nadar is an easy one in terms of just checking on Google. N-A-D-A-R. Our beaky is slightly more complex. A-R-B-I-K-I-E dot com. Uh-huh. Or in the Highland Rye one, highlandryewhiskey.com. I'm sure you'll find plenty of uh, articles about our beaky because people are fa- particularly now fascinated by the sustainability uh-huh. and daily global journalists are looking for pieces and interest and you know quite rightly so because you know the Aberty, James Hutton and Kirsty did an amazing job with the science. I didn't give credit to Trinity College Dublin and to Bangor University who did the carbon assessment uh-huh. as well so that's been totally carbon assessed in terms of the full journey from growing to delivery so that deserves the scientists deserve all the credit for that. Uh-huh. We happen to be the recipient in terms of being able to do something or use that process of that learning. But, you know, we very much will sing the praises of Aberty and James Hutton. Uh-huh. Fantastic. And we will put all of those links into the show notes as well. So thank our you. audience can um, find you that way. For now, thank you very much for your time. It's been a fascinating, really, really enjoyable chat. And uh, we'll speak to you soon. Thanks, Russ. Pleasure. Thank you for your time. I hope you found this episode useful. If you have, then why not share it with your family and see what they think? I work with families just like yours to help them to better understand the complexities that can come with being a family in business. So whether you're just starting out or heading into the umpteenth generation, if you feel that I could help, check out fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ and get in touch. Until next time, take care.